Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guest, as promised, is an outstanding college basketball analyst for ESPN. Always check out 94 Feet with Jay Billis. A fun one with UNC's Theo Pinson last night. A hilarious one with one of his broadcasting partners, Sean McDonough, not too long ago. Jay Billis will be back in action Saturday night, partnering with Dan Shulman in a resumption of one of the great college sports and American sports rivalries. It'll be Tar Heels at Blue Devils Saturday night with Jay on the call. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing great, David. How are you? I'm doing very well, continuing to enjoy you calling basketball games, but also uh, criticizing the NCAA and putting that law degree to work. If you could create, Jay, a new version of the NCAA from scratch, what would it look like? What would it allow? And, and in what most important ways would it be different from our current model? Well, it would be a lot different. One, it would stay in its lane. I mean, the NCAA is, by definition, an athletic organization. So uh, if I were in charge, the organization would administer athletic competition, and that's it. Uh, it would not stand up there and pretend that it is the uh, beacon of education, and without the NCAA, uh, no athlete in America could possibly be educated. You know, it, What it does is it, it regulates competition among institutions of higher learning and each one of those institutions of higher learning has different a different mission statement and different entrance requirements and standards and we're not going to determine on the field of play which school is the best school all you're going to determine is which team is the better team that particular day so we've set up a system where people uh, who are fans and fans are inherently biased uh, are going to say, well, my school does it the right way, and you're not looking when when my school has committed a transgression. It's it's done. Uh, it's not as bad as when somebody else does it because they're all cheaters. And you know that's constantly what you hear from fans. And the NCAA set up this system. It's a Rube Goldberg system that makes zero sense, except in that uh, everyone gets paid their fair market value, and they make an enormous amount of money. And I don't begrudge them that one for one second. But they limit the athletes and pretend that it's okay. And it's not okay, especially when every other student uh, can, can accept or earn whatever, they're, uh, whatever they can, can get in the marketplace based upon their talents and their chosen field of endeavor. And how, how you can allow every other student to be a, a student in good standing uh, and still be a professional in whatever they choose to be a professional in, and yet look at athletes and say, you dirty professional, if they take a meal with someone, is beyond me. The hypocrisy and contradiction of that is just beyond me. When you advocate for the free market, uh, one part of that obviously would be any prominent or any athlete really, but most likely the, the prominent men's basketball and football players, they can market themselves, they can be on billboards, they can collect money and still be eligible. Are you also advocating for a total free market from school to school so that they could pay whatever they wanted to pay? Or are you thinking more in terms of third parties? I'm thinking more in terms of everything, that if a school wants to pay and provide a contract to a player, go ahead. Um, you know, each, David, each one of these schools has 30, you know, if you go, just take the ACC. All those schools have 30,000-plus employees. So when I hear smart people say, well, what would we do? Would we pay the last-ring <laughs> player the same as the, the first-ring player? Would we pay the walk-on the same as Marvin Bagley the third? 
you're going, are, are you guys idiots? Like, do, <laughs> do they pay the landscape professionals the same as they pay the president of the university? What about the first food service professionals? Do they pay them the same amount as Coach K? How do they figure it out? It's unbelievable. Commerce stops because we can't make those decisions. They know exactly whom to recruit and exactly whom to put in the game when they need to win. They know who to pay. And they could certainly make those decisions. So the idea they can make 30,000 decisions, uh, uh, pay decisions uh, with their employees, but boy, you add in 300 athletes and the whole system collapses is hard to imagine. It's just hard. And, and it's, it's laughable that people get, you know, they say such things and they say it out loud and think that people are going to go, okay, well, that's great. Hey, could you imagine if you said, you know, people will say, well, wait a minute. The track athlete works just as hard as the basketball player or the football player. Okay, well, at your school, if you want to pay everybody the same, go ahead. Right. But, I, but I'm pretty sure that Coach <laughs> K's secretary works just as hard as he does, if not harder. <laughs> and, and he or she is not making the same coin. I'm pretty sure of that. Jay Billis is joining us. He's a lot of fun on Twitter, at Jay Billis. He does call basketball games for a living, including Miami over UNC last night and UNC at Duke on Saturday night. I'm not even sure how many other places he might be between now and then. Which ACC teams on the court do you see as being the most dangerous heading into March Madness and why? Well, the top three or four are obviously the most dangerous because they've been the most consistent. And I think consistency is something we probably overlook when we get to March Madness. One team that I think if uh, if Bonzi Colson comes back, even a semblance of what he was, uh, then Notre Dame's going to be really dangerous because they are going to be an underseated top 10 caliber team. Uh, you got to remember, and I know you do, that Bonzi Colson's missed two months. Yeah. And he was a 20-10 and 10 guy and one of the most efficient players in the country and a leading candidate for ACC and National Player of the Year. Uh, and Matt Farrell was out for a number of games and, and not available. DJ Harvey has been out for, I don't know, eight games or so, and he's not likely to come back, though. But, uh, but Notre Dame's still on the bubble, not having had Bonzi Colson with him back. I wouldn't be shocked to see Notre Dame find a little bit of magic in the ACC tournament. So you have UVA at number one. You have Duke at number two. You have Notre Dame, as I agree, a fascinating kind of sleeper over there. UNC, all these teams, these next six teams, Jay, are all within one loss of each other in the conference standings. UNC, Clemson and NC State are 10-6. and six. Virginia Tech and Miami are 10-7. and seven. Louisville is 9-7. and seven. Uh, which of those six, you just saw the Tar Heels last night, the Wolfpack's on a roll, which of those six strikes you as the most compelling team heading into March? Are you talking about Virginia out of the equation? Because Yeah, Virginia's above. one, Duke's yeah. two, and then there's just this cluster. You know, Carolina, Clemson, State, Virginia Tech, Miami, Louisville, uh, they all have certain things going for them, and, and sometimes the Tar Heels look more like the Blue Devils and the Cavaliers, and sometimes the Tar Heels just look more like the middle of that pack. Yeah, I think Carolina's better than the other teams you mentioned there. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't play very well last night against Miami because they didn't guard they didn't guard particularly well, and they're not a great defensive team. Period. But uh, but they're better than everybody on that list. It doesn't mean they can't lose. I mean, I think that's the difference, Dave. Is that you know you got a bunch of teams out there that that this year especially like North Carolina. There's nobody. There's very few teams, if if anybody, they cannot beat. Um, but the list of teams that can beat them is longer than, than it has been in a while, and uh, and that tends to happen. I mean, I think I think uh, of the of the year after teams that that Roy Williams has had after a championship, 
uh, and there have been three of them. This may be the best one he's had um, because usually after after you win a championship, there's uh, you know you lose seniors, and obviously uh, uh, some of your younger players tend to leave, uh, and that's happened each time. Uh, this is probably the, the the best team he's had after after having won a championship, or at least it's right there. Jay Billis joining us on the David Glenn Show. The FBI stories and the investigation, Jay, I saw your comment about being surprised if Arizona's Sean Miller would ever coach, at least in the college ranks, again. When you put your legal eyes to all this stuff, do you believe we're hearing enough from, say, defense attorneys who are pretty good at explaining whatever Miller's voice might have said on wiretaps or even explaining away somebody's mom or dad having, you know, a $50 lunch or dinner with a, a middleman for an agent. I read these articles for ESPN and Yahoo, and it seems like all their sources are on the prosecution side. What does what your legal brain say about how these cases continue to unfold? I read those articles completely differently. I read those articles as all the sources are on the defense side. Um, yeah, I don't think the prosecutor, I don't, I don't think the U.S. Attorney's Office nor the FBI would be leaking information out in the conduct of an investigation. And, and while an ongoing case uh, is, is, or while a case is ongoing, I should say. Uh, and I think what, what the likely scenario is, is that the judge in the case is going to probably issue a gag order on everyone involved, that there's a protective order. Uh, so all the documents are under seal, right. uh, under a protective order, and still they're being leaked out. So I think you'll see a complete gag order and some threats being made uh, uh, with the power of the court behind it. Uh, so I see that a little bit differently. Um, I, you know, I, I don't think you're going to hear anything out of Sean Miller's camp uh, right now. Uh, you certainly haven't heard any sort of denial. And the fact that Sean Miller didn't coach against Oregon uh, and hasn't been at practice since, is is some indication that uh, that the University of Arizona has some some serious issues to consider. Um, I trust the reporting of, of Mark Schlebaugh, and I trust the reporting of uh, of Pat Forty and Pete Thamel. Uh, I think you would have to be uh, have to have your head buried in the sand to think that uh, that the overwhelming majority of things that that are out there are are untrue. Now, one thing that that I think is uh, is and I don't think it requires a lot of explanation. I don't think a reasonable person looks at these reports and says, yep, it's the same thing to be offered $100,000 and to have sat down right. with an agent and taken a meal. That's not the same thing. Uh, that is the equivalent of jaywalking versus vehicular manslaughter. Um, but there's a lot There's a lot in between there. And so while some of this stuff is reported that says, you know, uh, schools mentioned or schools implicated or something like that, it may be implicated in an NCAA rules violation, but uh, but I don't think we're looking at, a, at, at the same thing here, and I, and I don't think reasonable people look at it that way. The cases involving former basketball players like NC State and Kentucky and Washington, that is a lot of money that those folks or their families were alleged to have taken, but at least they're former players. At Arizona, you have DeAndre Ayton at least having his name attached to $100,000, now, there's no leaked information showing he took or his family took whatever Sean Miller was talking about on a wiretap. Is it your sense that Arizona's just rolling the dice here, saying, well, we've played them all year. If he or his family took anything, we're screwed either way? Is, I mean, do compliance directors and universities think that way in your experience? Well, no, not in my experience, but we're getting right up to the NCAA tournament. And, and it would be pretty... Uh, pretty craven for anyone to look at it 
like, hey, you know, if he's ineligible, we're going to have to disgorge all this anyway, so we might as well keep playing. Um, you know, if the if the player and the player's family have demonstrated that they didn't get the money, uh, I can understand that. But usually, if this had happened at the beginning of the year with the, with the, without the specter of the FBI being involved, if this had just been a report in the yeah. media, I would find it highly unlikely that any of the players that were implicated would, would have played. But because we are right before the NCAA tournament, it's a multi-billion-dollar property. And look, the NCAA is acting really quickly in all this stuff, and they don't act quickly in anything that doesn't serve their yep. interests. So you might want to say it's cynical, uh, but I tend to call it realistic. They are hopping too to make sure that that we have things settled by Selection Sunday, so that this is not the dominant the dominant uh, theory and the dominant discussion of the tournament. They, they, are, they, they do not want to mess with the goose that laid the golden egg. I promise you that. Last thing for Jay Billis. You got to see Carolina's senior day. I don't know if you hang around for such ceremonies uh, given your busy schedule, but Theo Pinson and Joel Berry among the seniors in Chapel Hill. Of course, Duke has its senior night on Saturday night with Grayson Allen. What if we take you back to 1986? What does Jay Billis former Duke star remember most about your senior day that year? How hot it was in there. Uh, <laughs> Duke and North Carolina played for the ACC championship that day. And, uh, and it was, it was incredibly hot and loud in that building. It was a daytime game. Uh, that was before television uh, you know, at, at nine o'clock games, but it was, uh, it, it wasn't before television. We actually had television, but uh, <laughs> there weren't a lot, there weren't a lot of nine o'clock games on Saturday back then, but it was, uh, it was awesome. It was an awesome experience and, you know, something, uh, something you never forget. Uh, but I don't, uh, you know, I don't remember, you know, sitting there saying this is the last time I'm going to put my socks on and all that stuff and, uh, before a game because we knew we were playing again. Uh, we just weren't going to be playing uh, playing in camera. We knew we'd be practicing there and in the locker room and all that other stuff. So we, we tried not to make it too nostalgic. So you didn't jump into Kay's arms like Wojo and you didn't cry like a lot of these guys do? No, I'm more of an awkward social hugger. So That's there right. There was a lot of fan hugging. <laughs> That's back right. It was, more, it was more handshake, you know, handshake, <laughs> pat on the back type of thing. There wasn't, there wasn't as much hugging going on. Those Devils were on their way to the national championship game that year. He is an awkward social hugger. He is an outstanding college basketball analyst for ESPN. On Twitter, at Jay Billis. Thank you, as always, for the time here on the David Glenn Show. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, buddy. You got it. I'll either bop him or shake his hand next time I see him to thank him for his regular appearances. Awkward social hugger, Jay Billis, joining us on the program.